0: Welcome to the Your Living Life Legacy Matters and it really truly does network. This broadcasting network is underwritten, uh, if you would, uh, powered by the faith-based cause initiative, which you're going to hear certainly more about as we proceed, and its affiliates. And so uh, the words faith-based uh, are really uh, important to embrace. Uh, the words cause-based as well, and then charitable outreach organizations. Uh, during the latter part of this uh, Black History Month as we move forward into uh, March, you know, we always are mindful of people that are around us that uh, can really reach out and share with uh, people that are young the whole purpose of a life legacy and why it is okay to reach out for a life well lived, and we are hoping that we all live forever. But if in fact we do pass, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that great report card, that great score at this particular time, which means what was your living life a legacy about? And what is your life legacy now? We have a very important guest who I would uh, call walking history. He was introduced to me by my cousin, Ron Hall, who's been a very beautiful individual that I could always go to at the last minute. She is an executive publisher and a professional uh, PR media uh, personality in her own rights, uh, moving into 40 years in that particular genre. But uh, she's given us this gift of this particular guest that can share with you some very special information. It's important for you to know that his core competency has been in the public arena uh, with a specialty uh, on really elections and really the whole election process and uh, arguably uh, is on the side of history to date uh, with the pandemic and us being able to really be able to provide the opportunity for a lot of people to be heard during the pandemic with the trend. Transition to a record number of people utilizing their right to vote via the actual uh, mail-in ballot. And so this is one of the uh, individuals that put that whole, if you would, transition into place, which was a historic transition and will be written in the history books that could give everyone an opportunity to be a human being, which they are, and to allow their word to be heard. And so I want this particular uh, guest to really be able to share with you from his own vantage point a little bit about what he does and what he's experienced, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy a bit of it. So without further ado, uh, my beloved brother, uh, Daniel Baxter, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Uh, It is definitely a delight and a plum, pleasing pleasure to be in your presence today and to speak with your audience. Um, February is one of my favorite months, and it's not just because it's Valentine's Day, right?
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, But
1: because it's Black History Month. Um, um, Malcolm X uh, said of all of our studies, history is most qualified to reward our research. So if we wanted to... Uh, find the evidence of why we're here, all we have to do is look in history books or talk to a sage to get that full understanding so that we might be able to discover the roadmap that brought us here uh, where we are today. So I'm just elated uh, to be here today just to share with you and your audience. Thank you, Brother Baxter. My mom and dad used to use that word sage, and that's a nice way to say what? That's a person who tells stories. Yes. Uh, that's a person who uh, is the keeper uh, of the uh, history of the community, of the family and the like. Uh, if you study black history, what you'll discover is, is when you go back to Africa or even during slavery, there was always one person uh, who could uh, articulate the history of the village, of the tribe, of the family or of the community, and they called that person the sage.
0: Well, I appreciate you bringing that memory back up. You know, our CEO, Mr. Garland, has shared with me during this particular period of time. uh, We look forward, he looks forward to Black History Month because uh, being a a more seasoned individual Mm -hmm. upwards of 50 years with uh, the major utility in Michigan and Mm -hmm. being responsible for handing out contributions to all the faith-based organizations Mm -hmm. and charitable-based organizations. And uh, I'm sure he doesn't mind me sharing with you uh, since he's retired now. Uh, he certainly kept the, the kept the heat rolling in many of the churches and many of the cause organizations, charitable organizations through his power he had with this uh, particular corporation he was a, an executive with. Uh, I want uh, you to share with the audience uh, when we think about this particular time mm-hmm. and we think about our storytellers, uh, what a lot of young people don't understand is that that storyteller was uh, the publisher. So in today's, uh, I guess, uh, if you would, To uh, classify them, they were the person that kept publicizing the information. Mm -hmm. They were the uh, uh, Detroit News, they were the uh, Detroit Free Press, okay? Mm -hmm. They were the Chronicle, they were the Vanity Fair, they Mm -hmm. were the Ebony Magazine, Mm -hmm. the Essence Magazine, because then they could not print readily. Mm -hmm. So someone had to pass the story along. That's correct. I think it's true, a lot of the stories while they did never got lost mm-hmm. they were suppressed significantly and if someone did not tell you that story mm-hmm. you would not be piqued to dig and find it because it's there and our ceo mr garland likes to send the list of african-american inventors yes you know which yes. most children don't understand mm-hmm. that pretty much half of everything that was invented was invented by a person uh of color.
1: Correct.
0: It's just that it was not in a position to patent it under that That's particular right. person's name and That's so right. it got muffled. Now obviously mm-hmm. the profits were lost but mm-hmm. certainly now we're bringing back the stories of those particular inventors. That's so correct. can you share with the audience in a two-pronged process uh, a story that may uh, be able to assist people in Detroit and then around the world understand some things that have happened from a historical basis with champions in the African-American community.
1: Yeah so um, so let, let me just give a, give you a backdrop. Uh, I grew up on the Southeast side of the city of Detroit, uh, on the corner of Garland and Charlevoix, the local high school is Southeastern high school. Uh, Ooh. and that corner is four blocks North of the rooster tail. Just so that your audience might be able to visualize where it is.
0: Well, would that be a bad neighborhood or a good neighborhood?
1: That was in the sixties and seventies. It was, it was like being in Wonderland. Wow! It was like being in Oz. Uh, it was an enchanting environment. Everything that you wanted, uh, everything that you needed, was right there in the community. Uh, whether or not. Uh, you needed to go to the drugstore, whether or not you wanted to go to the doctor. Uh, of course, the funeral home was around the corner. Churches were uh, bustling at that particular time, and uh, if you were, if you had a good dream, right, uh, you could call the number lady, and they'd give you a good number that you might be able to play in Detroit and Pontiac. Okay. And uh, uh, if your fortune. Uh, panned out you would hit that number and get paid that night so you had everything right there in the midst of the community and that's where I grew up okay Um, I remember uh, it was on a Friday uh, back in October of 1975 Uh, we came home from school early Um, my mother had lunch ready for us and we were sitting at the dinner table eating lunch and the doorbell rang so my mother went to answer the door Uh, And she came back and she said, Herbert, the man from the paper is here and he wants to talk to you about the house. So my father said, oh, absolutely not. I'm not talking to that man. She said, well, Herbert, somebody has to talk to him about the house. Well, I'm not talking to him. So she says, Herbert, who's going to talk to the man? He looked at me and said, send Danny. Let him talk to him. So I'm 10 years old. I don't know, you know, what to say or what to do. But my mama says to me, "Uh, do you want to go talk to the man? I said, sure. So I leave out of the house and I go out front and I'm sitting on the fence and the gentleman asked me, he says, so young man, what's your name? I said, my name is Danny Baxter. He said, do you know the history of this house? And I said, yes, absolutely. Uh, there was a black guy who lived here a long time ago. He killed a white guy, but he didn't go to jail for it. So he looked at me. Uh, he asked a couple of more pictures, a cu- couple of more questions. He took a picture and then he left. That following Monday, when I get to school, My teacher stands before the entire class and says, hey, everybody, a celebrity is with us. So I'm looking around. I'm looking for either Michael Jackson or (laughs) Rodney Allen Ripley or somebody like that. Uh, But she stands before the classroom, and she opens up this newspaper, and it says, little has changed since the 1925 trials. And it was the story about a man by the name of Dr. Ocean Sweet, Uh, an African-American physician who moved into the same house that I lived in back in September of 1925. When he moved into the house uh, on September 8th, not much happened, but on September the 9th, all hell broke loose. A mob of 500 500 angry whites surrounded the house with one intent, to force Dr. Sweet out of that house and keep that community lily white. You see, back in 1925, Uh, Detroit was very polarized uh, in the sense that black folk lived in this one particular community called the Black Bottom. Uh, The Black Bottom was right downtown where Ford Field is, uh, and it went as far north as Warren Avenue uh, and as far south as the Detroit River. Well, at that time, uh, there was something going on, the Great Migration. It was an influx of people from the south coming to the north for one intent. They were coming to earn that $5 a day that Henry Ford had offered to any person who was physically able to work. So black folk came and white folk from the South with their racist attitudes came. So Dr. Sweet was a student at Wilberforce University, graduated from Howard University. And at the time, he noticed that there was no adequate health care for black people. So he said Detroit would be a great place for me to live. So he decided to move to Detroit, Michigan. He married a beautiful lady by the name of Gladys. They had a baby girl by the name of Iva. He studied radi- the impact of radiation over in Europe under Madame Curie. So this man was a hard-working, prominent man who decided to move into a neighborhood because he just wanted his daughter Gladys, daughter Iva, to grow up in nice surroundings. So that day they moved in on the 8th, not much happened, but on the 9th, that's when it happened. When the mob rushed the house, pandemonium broke loose in the home and shots rang out of the house. When the smoke cleared, Detroit Police Department came in and arrested everybody and charged them with first-degree murder. You uh, see, Brother
0: Baxter, I'm sure. going to stop you right here, sure. okay? Because I would like for this particular uh, moment in time to be, if you would, reflected on by uh, our audience and for them to understand, just imagine that being you in a neighborhood, being the only person that looks like you and not having the chance to even settle in, as Brother Baxter said, not on the 8th, But the next day, obviously, things change. So uh, in our next episode, we're going to give you the conclusion of this specific story. Thank you very much, Brother Baxter. Oh, you're welcome.